Welcome to episode 13 of This Is Her Story. It's the 13th episode, but it's the first episode of 2019. Although I'm recording this in December, but by the time you hear it, it'll be the new year. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, new guests that uh, I'm beginning to schedule some new guests. I have a couple scheduled already. In this episode, though, I interview Pastor Annette Mondragon, and she is a church planter and a co-pastor in Indiana. Her and her husband lead a bilingual congregation, and she has a, uh, just a beautiful and fascinating story, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. She also talks about um, how she navigated moving from a married couple to a family with children and how that um, just how how it affected her ministry the highs and the lows that come with that and um, I was already a, a mom and a wife when I became a pastor but I know that many of our listeners uh, are starting out without kids and I think this will be helpful and even if you already have children one of the things of that I really appreciated about Annette and her willingness to share the story um, is her just her candidness, um, how the church walked with them through difficult some difficult days, and it was really a portrait of what the church is supposed to be. And so I hope you'll be encouraged by this story. Um, we are that the podcast is now on iTunes as well as Play Google. So if you go to play.google and then search podcast, you'll find it there if you don't want to use the Podbean app. And uh, if you would give us a couple of likes, that would help and share it with your friends. I appreciate the positive feedback I've received from many of you. And I know there's been a couple of people who have uh, answered the call to ministry because of these stories, which is exactly what I had hoped would happen, that there would be just a response from the body of Christ to answer the call that God has placed upon them. And, uh, and so enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you soon. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories? and really flood the airwaves with something different. So, who knows? We'll see what happens. The worst happens is I have to call you in January and we do it again, right? Okay. <laughs> and we'll have practice. <laughs> we'll have practice. So, all right. Well, I do like to start with faith background. So, let's just start again with that. Um, okay. Your faith background and then how you came to Jesus. So, Okay. Um, I grew up uh, a Christian in, in a Christian home. My parents are pastors. So I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene as a pastor's kid. Um, and then it was uh, when I turned 13 that I realized I needed to make a personal commitment to the Lord, that it wasn't just uh, living off of my parents' faith. Um, I also knew I had a call on my life. So I knew if I gave my life to Jesus, it meant answering a call into ministry at some point. And so I reluctantly said yes, because I wasn't sure that I wanted to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw um, Nina Gunter preach when I was 
about 13 or 14. And that was the first time I saw a woman preach. And she was at our district assembly. And I thought, okay, if she can preach, then there's a place for me in the church. And that was really exciting and motivating that there was a place for me in ministry if, if God was calling me. And um, when I met my husband, I was 17. He was 19. And he um, did not have a church background, a faith background. And so he came to the Lord and he just fell head over heels in love with Jesus. And that for me was really exciting because I got to see the faith from a point of view I'd never seen before. Someone coming in from outside who was so excited to learn the word for the first time and to know what God had to say uh, to them about his promises. And everything was so new to him that he really gave me a fresh perspective and made me want to desire Jesus the way he did. And so um, it was at that time, 17, 18 years old, that I uh, really gave my life over to Jesus, understanding what that commitment then meant. Right. Um, and so that was really exciting, uh, that the faith of a new believer who didn't have a faith background was what really helped me grow in my faith instead of the other way around. You would think that the one who grew up in church could help a new believer, but it was so the opposite. And I'm so thankful that God brought this new perspective into my life um, through my husband. Dr. Nina Gunter ordained me. So I, oh, I love that part of how, you know, hearing, hearing her preach really does. It, it's, yeah. it does something when we see um, other women preach. Right. Right. To us. Now, you grew up in the States, right? I did. I did. I was born and raised in the States, and my parents were pastors on several districts, so okay. we moved around several states. Yeah. Now, what about your husband? Did he grow up in the States, too? You said you met him when he was no, 19. No, my husband actually grew up in Mexico, um, in a city um, south of Mexico City. And then when he was 17, um, his mother passed away, and he had a brother who lived in the States, so he came to live with him at that time, and I met him. A couple years after he moved here, he came to our church uh, to visit, and so that's how I got to meet him. Yeah, you said he didn't grow up in the church. He he was raised Catholic, I think you told me, right? Yes, he was raised Catholic, and um, he wasn't a practicing Catholic, so you know he did his first communion and then probably didn't go back to church for a few right. years. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't until uh, his mom passed away, and he was having a really difficult time growing up in a bad neighborhood. He was... Um, by the time he was 17, he was an alcoholic and mm -hmm. on drugs and in a gang. And so it was his brother who really said, you need to get out of that environment. And that's why he came to the States. Um, and two weeks after being in the States, he accepted the Lord as a savior. And then I met him probably about a year and a half after that. My mom met his sister at a Walmart and invited her to church. And um, then we met after that. And he just just jumped into serving the Lord as, as much as he could. Pretty much when you met him, is that's when you had your call to, that's when you kind of really around 13 is when you started to sense a call to ministry. Yeah. And so I'm curious, what did that look like at 13? And then how did that change later on down the road, like when you were in your late teens, early 20s? I think um, when I was 13, I think it was hard for me uh, to visualize myself in a role in ministry because the only things I had seen were that I would be a pastor's wife um, or I could work with teens, you know, kind of thing. I was reluctant only because being a pastor's kid, I know what it's like to be um, 
in a parsonage and I see, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. And I thought it's such a hard life. I don't know that I want to commit to that. You know, it's heartaches and loving people at their worst. And, um, at the time I just didn't feel like I could make that commitment. And when I, uh, was about 17, 18, I felt God saying, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask and you will find your place. Um, I'll find your place in the church. And it was when I saw Nina Gunter preaching because I knew I had a calling to preach. Um, but I just had never seen that, uh, a woman in that role, um, in leadership. And so when I saw her preaching, um, and when I met her and heard her story, that was when I really felt God saying, um, if you trust me, I will open doors for you, you know, and, um, it will be different than what you've seen in the past. And so that was when, um, I was able to commit once, um, my husband and my dad was a great supporter. My dad was always an encourager and he said, follow the Lord, follow your calling, um, start studying, you know, go into ministry. Um, my husband as well has always from day one been a huge encourager to say, you know, if God's calling you, you got to do it. Sometimes mm-hmm. even before I'm ready to do something, I have these amazing men behind me who are saying, go for it. God right. is going to help you. He's going to show you the way. And so, um, it was really the two of them helping me step into what God wanted for my life, that it was uh, their faith for me, perhaps, uh, that really helped um, propel me into seeking out God's calling. So after you graduated from high school, then did you go right to, you went right to college? How did, how did you do your studies? So I went to a Christian university called John Brown University, um, and it's in Arkansas. I went there, I did a year and a half, so I did a year um, on campus, and then I did a summer abroad program, and uh, at that time, I thought, okay, I'll do I'll do uh, a youth ministry major, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I can always go back to teaching if I'm not sure about that, um, but it was during that first year that God was saying, no, I want you in full-time ministry, um, so my husband and I got married and moved to Mexico and went to seminary, the Nazarene Seminary. Um, in Baja, California. And so um, we did three years there, and I graduated uh, in 2005 from Senamex, which is a uh, seminary, the Nazarene Seminary in Mexico. Um, at the time, it was in Ensenada. And then he graduated um, in 2007. That's so fun. I yeah. guess, you know, I didn't even realize, I'm sure in the back of my mind, I knew we had schools in Mexico, but I didn't realize we had a seminary there. So I remember when you were talking about that at the conference, I thought, I gotta, I gotta figure out where all of our schools are. I'm not. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and, and it was a hard decision. You can totally edit this part out. <laughs> but I mean, we paid cents compared to what we would pay if we went to school here. Um, right. we looked at going to one of our Nazarene schools here and it just was not going to be affordable for us. And, um, we thought, well, why not? If we can study in Spanish, let's right. go. <laughs> yeah. If you can do it. I cannot study in Spanish. So, I, you know what? At the time, we paid the equivalent of like eighty dollars a semester for tuition. Oh my goodness! Isn't that yes, it was a blessing because we were able to not go into debt, um, getting ready for ministry. <laughs> right. Well, that is a blessing. So, uh, so take it if you can do it. If you can yeah. do it, and you you were raised with both. You were raised speaking Spanish and English. Yeah. Right. So, uh-huh. so it's my technical. parents have always pastored in Spanish-speaking churches. Okay, so 
your first language is both. Not you yes. don't really have yeah, English isn't really your second language. It's no, I learned Spanish at home, but it was not really good Spanish just because as soon as you pick up English at school, that becomes right. your dominant language and right. I would always speak with my siblings in English. So when I moved to Mexico, I had to relearn how the the proper way of speaking Spanish as well as I didn't really know any grammar. Um, so learning to really and read at a college level was really right. hard. Oh, that right? would be I, hard. Yeah, I'd only ever read the Bible in Spanish. So now reading all these other textbooks and commentaries. So it took a little getting used to, but I'm really thankful that we had that experience. Right. So you guys got married. So you're mm-hmm. already you're on that track um, to mm-hmm. both be pastors when you got married. Yeah. And then planted a church. Is the, the church you planted, was that, is this really your first assignment? Did you have a, a first assignment before that? No, before um, being in Indiana, we were in Arkansas for one year okay. um, after seminary. Um, my dad was a pastor there, um, but we felt God calling us to Indiana, and so we weren't in an official role there. We were just helping out at his church. When we came to Indiana, um, we just felt God leading us here, and so we started a church plant. Uh, based out of another church. Um, and we began as a Spanish ministry. And as that um, began to grow, uh, we realized several things. One was we were on the side of town where Hispanics did not live. Oh, and okay. second, we realized that a lot of the problems, issues that a lot of Hispanics were facing, we had seen in um, the church we had been previously as well, which was that your first generation Hispanics prefer Spanish, but their children, the second and third generation, prefer to worship and to hear the word in English. And so that's where we um, realized we needed to spiritually feed both so that they could grow. Um, Otherwise, they felt like they had to pick and choose uh, whether they should go to an English church so their children could grow spiritually and they would not grow spiritually. or should they stay in a Spanish-speaking church where their kids were not going to be involved or right. be active? So that's uh, how it switched from going from a Spanish ministry into um, I, a bilingual and also an inner city because then we moved to the other part of town where it's a lot more diverse. Right. So primarily your congregation is Spanish-speaking, so not necessarily all Mexican, but um, our congregation is about, I would say, um, actually the majority speak English, um, and we probably write about half, half, um, we've got, um, African American, white, and Hispanic, um, and the Hispanic, actually, the minority are the Mexicans, uh, oh. we have more people from El Salvador and Guatemala, okay. and other yeah. Central American countries than from Mexico, so that's also interesting, because even the language, um, and the way that they speak is different in those countries. So right. I'm constantly learning new vocabulary. <laughs> right. So this, the, the dialect and stuff would be different. So, so you're kind of the minority in your church. <laughs> I am. <laughs> that's, that's funny. So you planted and so you officially planted. What's the name of your church again? Tell me the full name. Our church's name is Many Nations Church, uh, Church of the Nazarene. Well, that's appropriate when you tell me that because but I remember, I remember, I do remember hearing you say the name, and I thought that it, maybe it was mostly Mexican. But now, when you makes more sense now when you tell me all the different nations uh, yes. that you have uh-huh. that are part of your congregation. 
And then Sunday morning is unique. I remember you telling me about that. So Mm -hmm. what's your Sunday morning look like? So our Sunday mornings, um, we have a a bilingual um, service. And so that means we do worship in two languages. So uh, on our screens, we'll have English and Spanish lyrics. And we alternate singing between uh, Spanish and English, uh, our worship. Um, Our prayers sometimes are in Spanish, sometimes are in English. Um, and then, uh, our sermons are always interpreted. And so my husband or I will preach and uh, the other one of us will stand right next to them and we'll interpret into the opposite language as he's preaching. So people hear the word, uh, in both languages. Um, it's really such a helpful tool for the person preaching because you get a little pause as you're preaching while the other person is interpreting and we just go back and forth and we really enjoy doing the interpreting part of, of the sermon. I know you said that your husband normally preaches in Spanish, and so then you interpret. So when you preach, do you typically preach in English? I prefer English, yes. Uh, it's my first language. I feel more comfortable uh, preaching in English. Um, I typically, so he will preach in Spanish, but lately he's been preaching a lot more in English. His, oh. his English has just improved exponentially. And so he just wants to practice it a whole lot more. So then I end up interpreting into Spanish and then I stumble over words. Um, oh. But it, it, the people help me out. So it's um, a very responsive crowd. Sometimes they give me words when I don't <laughs> know them. But it's a lot of fun. We actually enjoy it a lot. I know one of the things you shared was how your ministry changed when you had your first child. Um, so just talk a little bit about how it changed when you went from being pastor with no kids to a pastor mm-hmm. with kids and then uh, in that role. And then I also want to talk a little bit about postpartum depression and how mm-hmm. you navigated that and how your church came alongside of you. So I don't know, whatever order you want to talk about, say that, okay. talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, to give you context, we were married for seven years before having our, our first son. And so in those seven years, we had all of this. Uh, freedom, right, mm-hmm. to dive into ministry. And that was our baby. That was our full-time baby. And so we would spend every day working together. Um, we were in the church. We were constantly working on new things. The church was brand new. So it was a baby. We were pouring ourselves into it. And um, when we had our first son, I realized I felt divided. I felt divided over how much I could give of myself to both and still feel like I was a human being who could function. Um, and, and I felt like, um, you know, it was so much easier for my husband to just wake up in the morning and get going to church. There were a lot of frustrations and unmet expectations between the two of us where I think I felt like I would just be able to bounce back one day and do everything I did before I had a baby. And that wasn't the case. Um, and it, it ate at me. And I would be frustrated that my husband would just get up and go and be so involved in all of these wonderful things happening at church that he was doing. Um, and I, it was a frustration that was growing in me, but it was unspoken. And in, at the same time, he was frustrated with me thinking, why isn't she helping as much as she used to right. or doing all the things that she used to? But it was so unspoken. Um, uh, I had postpartum depression after he was born, but I didn't realize that that's what it was. So it went untreated, you know, no one spoke about, that was 10 years ago, but even then, really people didn't speak out loud about what that was like or 
that it was a thing uh, my doctors never asked. So it went untreated, undiagnosed. Um, I had my second son in 2010. They are 22 months apart. And after he was born, I felt like I just hit bottom. Um, probably when he was about four or five months old uh, was when I felt like I could not go on. I would stay up late at night. My husband would work late because he was trying to pick up uh, the slack that I wasn't doing, the things that I couldn't do. And so he would work later and I'd be more frustrated. And, you know, um, we were trying to keep this, these frustrations secret because you want to have your life look like it's put together. At least that's what I learned growing up. That's what I witnessed or watched that a, a pastor's family should be put together, you know, and have it together. And so I was trying to live this facade that really at home, I felt like I was falling apart inside. And so um, when my second son was about four or five months old, um, I would stay up late at night and just depression lies to you. It's just these lies that are repeated over and over to you um, that tell you that you're not enough, that uh, you're not worthy, that you can't do it, that you compare yourself to other people um, and it's hard to get past that, and especially alone. Um, but I came to a point where I was suicidal, um, and I wrote a goodbye letter to my family, to my children, and told them that they would be better off without me. Um, and I knew at that time, I knew that they were lies from the enemy, but I remember telling God, I can't hear you. I was in such a fog. And I told God, if you're there, I can't hear you because the lies are just so loud. And um, to be honest, I don't know how it was that I told my husband that somehow I did. And and I told him, I just don't think I can keep going. And really, he was the one to encourage me to talk to my doctor um, and and that we would get help, you know, that that there was something it wasn't me. Uh, nothing was wrong with me, that those were lies that the enemy was telling me and that I needed to get help, that it was okay to get help. So um, it was hard to do that. Um, I think the hardest part after that was uh, how did we live this out with our church? And, um, you know, like I've said, we I do worship at church and I also interpret um during the sermon. So even if I wasn't preaching at the time, I was always up front um, on the platform every Sunday. So every Sunday was a struggle to get dressed and to get to church. And um, I would sing these songs, but I didn't feel them in my soul. And, Mm -hmm. and I would interpret these sermons, these messages that I just felt like they, they couldn't get through to me, you know, and um, I was just in a very, empty valley at that time. And so I remember um, it was sometime after New Year, uh, 2011, uh, one of those Sunday mornings, uh, we, after preaching, I told our congregation, I don't, it wasn't planned. I just, I told them, I said, I just want you to know that I love you and that I can't live a lie to you. I want to be open and honest that um, I I have depression and I, I need your prayers. I need you to carry me through this because I don't see the other side of this. 
Um, I am in such a bad place um, that I know that the only thing to carry me through this would be your prayers and your support and your help um, because, you know, this is what's happening in my life. Um, and I was really surprised by the response um, after that because people just came alongside us and said, we love you and, and you don't need to go anywhere because I think that was my fear that if I was honest and open about it, I was going to have to completely step aside and um, they weren't going to want me. I think that was the, the biggest lie that mm-hmm. the enemy told me. No one's going to want you if you're honest. And uh, so that was such a healing um, day in itself to know that I could still be loved, even if I felt broken. That's so beautiful. I mean, it was tragic, but mm-hmm. beautiful. Um I mean, that's what the body is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I just think that um, those seven years that you were able to pour into them before your first son was born, you know, God really used that to shape them and prepare them so that when it was your turn, that they could step up and, and be the yeah. church. We have a lot that we could learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> so many of us. Yeah. And then you, they've had two other children, right? Yes, um, we have uh, my daughter Leah is two, and then Judah is 10 months now. Um, there's a big gap between them. And so, um, you know, I think for me, one of the greatest testimonies of my life has been going through infertility and uh, treatment for that. And so that's why it took seven years for us to have my first son. Um, we did treatment with each of our kids. So my second one, we started right away, and that's why they're close. But then there's a six-year gap between my second and my third, um, you know, we prayed about another baby and um, we took precautions with the postpartum depression. We knew that that would be an issue um, because I had it after each one. And um, it's just uh, each time we have seen God answer our prayers. And so Leah came at God's time. Right. And um, after Leah, we were surprised to find out um, that I was going to have another baby because <laughs> our fourth baby was just a, a surprise and a miracle in himself. <laughs> and so um, we're just so glad that he's a part of our family, but totally unplanned surprise. And so that presented its own challenge, <laughs> has presented challenges as well, but they have been fun to, to navigate this time around. <laughs> fun. So now you're homeschooling. That adds a whole mm-hmm. nother level to your ministry. Yeah. So what do you just, uh, let's just talk about your your role right now, which I'm sure has morphed and changed over the years as you've mm-hmm. had your children and stuff like that. Kind of what's your role look like now? I know you're mm-hmm. only ten months after your fourth one. And, yeah. And then what's something what's like what's the most what responsibility you have that you enjoy the most or I guess you find most fulfilling in your current role? Okay. Um, well, let's see. It has morphed a lot. So from the very beginning, it was, um, I would preach just as much as my husband, uh, as we co-pastor, we would do, um, board meetings together and committee meetings together. And I would lead discipleship in the women's ministries. And, you know, if it's a new church, you kind of jump into every role at some point. And so, you know, one year it was the children and one year it you know, it's every single year I've always done worship. So all of these years leading worship um, as we've had different worship leaders who have come in um, 
to help. Uh, that's always been a, a big struggle in our church is to have permanent worship. And so, um, especially someone who can do bilingual. So that's where I've helped out, um, with that part of it. And so, um, and then administrative. I think, uh, my strengths are administrative behind the scenes on the computer, like, you know, typing stuff out or designing things so that I enjoy that part of it. And so it used to be, you know, my full-time baby was doing all of this. Um, as our children have uh, come into our lives, um, and as they are growing now, uh, it's begun to change. I really struggled with the idea of homeschooling. That was never the plan. I couldn't wait to send them to school. <laughs> um, but it really was a calling from God that God was saying, I want you to pour into them spiritually as much as you do, you know, educationally. I, I care about their spirit and their heart and I want you to do that. And so I, I struggled to accept that calling as well that he wanted me to do that because I knew that that meant surrendering. Uh, some things uh, as far as full-time ministry because I wouldn't be able to balance all of it. And so uh, this homeschooling journey has been uh, a calling from God because God, I felt like God was saying, I see your whole family unit as, as ministry. Your whole family is in ministry together right. and to live incarnationally in your community. That means including your children in ministry. And that's a daily thing, a daily task. So I want their hearts early so that they learn that this is their calling as well. And so that's why I felt led into homeschooling. And I've been learning a lot in the process as I've been doing that. I'm, you know, I, I didn't learn, I didn't go to school to be a teacher. Um, but I feel like each teaches someone with our lives. We're always teaching someone. So it's just been an, ex an experience that I've really enjoyed. Uh, it's changed now because as they got older, it was easier to start getting back to the roles I was doing in church in the ministry that I had stepped away from when they were babies. And now we're starting all over that season with babies um, where they, uh, we call it the changing of the guards with me and my husband. We're hardly ever at the same place at the same time. And so when people see us, they go, Oh, where's your husband? Oh, you know, we had to change guards. You know, he'll keep the kids. I go do something. Then we switch places and then he's doing something. So one of the ways that we have done that is, um, uh, for example, we don't sit on the same boards for several reasons. One of those is just uh, it's easy with the children to not be on the same board than one of us keeps them. But the other reason behind that is because we uh, we speak about things that we need to and make decisions uh, before we have those meetings. And that way we present a united front when one of us goes to the meeting. We never want people to feel like they're um, in an awkward position if we disagree on something that's being discussed or feel like they're in the middle of a, a marriage dispute right. instead of just a, um, a ministry disagreement because they can't see that difference between those roles. Uh, sometimes it's hard for them because we're married and not just co-bastering. So we like to have those uh, discussions uh, on our own first and then one of them will present uh, at the meetings, whatever we have decided on. And so we don't sit on the same boards hardly right now. Um, and we will lead different things at different times. So if I chair a committee or whatever, then he's usually not on those as well. Very wise. It has saved us a lot yeah. of, uh, a lot of strife. I think, um, yeah. we learned early on that being on the same boards 
were usually uncomfortable for everyone and for us (laughs) when there was a disagreement or something we didn't see eye to eye on and we needed to discuss those things. Um, And so it just has made it better for us in that sense. Um, I think also right now with having little ones, um, I do a lot of work from home instead of being in the physical office. Um, or I, when I do need to go to the church, it's typically for us, we're, we're blessed to be in a parsonage right next to the church. So I can go over there in the evenings and we trade places. Um, I can go in there on the weekends when it's quiet and do things, um, that I need to get done. And so it doesn't, it's just been learning to navigate just having the two of us and the babies right now, just for a season. And it's, I have to remind myself that it's a season. There will be a day. When I can do uh, the things that I I feel that God wants me to do again, you know, at some point I will be able to get back to this. Is there any you have any new projects coming up, either personally for yourself or in the church that you're excited or looking forward to in the new year? Oh, this new year. Well, um, as well as the church, we have a compassionate ministries center here at our church, and so we do a lot of work in the community and we have after school programs. That's also been one of those ministries that God has put on our hearts and in our lives that we never planned for. We didn't expect would ever happen. And so in the past I have helped um, with the after school program and led um, our tutoring for our children. And so um, I think as when the children grow, it's easier to start dreaming about what you can get back to and what you right. can work on. And so I think that those are the areas where I'm eager to step back into is those, um, those after school programs that we've been working with and ministering to, uh, families through, um, as well as just more preaching. I just, I, I enjoy preparing and, uh, preaching and spending time with people, uh, mentoring people, um, personally, individually, those times. One of the reasons I started this podcast is really to encourage women in ministry and encourage anyone. I mean, I want to, I want to tell the stories, you know, we hear all the theological reasons of why women should be ordained, but really it's the stories that change people's hearts. Um, so that's why, why I really want to tell your story, but I think it's good to give women who are coming behind us, you know, words of encouragement. So any words of encouragement you have for either someone who's wrestling with the call or they started it? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, in my case, had I not had two very strong people in my corner who were encouraging me, um, I think I had a lot of self-doubt and a lot of issues with self-confidence uh, to this day that is just a part of my personality. Just a lot of self-doubt, um, constantly worrying about what are people going to think? What are people going to say? How is this going to be heard? Why would anybody, you know, look to me for anything, you know? And so um, that was really for me uh, having two people in my corner that could speak truth and affirm God's calling in my life, you know, seek those people out, listen to those voices, you know, that are affirming you and your calling because, the enemy will try to lie to you. He will try to keep you from the calling God has. But those voices, those people, those voices of affirmation uh, will confirm what God wants to do in your life. And so you need to seek those voices out and listen to those. Um, I think in my own life, um, throughout these last, you know, 15 years, um, I've had 
repeated issues with not only the depression, we've had, you know, also um, marriage struggles in the past. And it has been in those crucial times that it has been people, uh, lay people in the church that God has placed in my life who have spoken from their experience and from their wisdom. They have just carried us in prayer. And it is those prayers of those saints that um, really have led me. So sometimes it's, uh, we want to look, we want to look up and out to the people in prominent places. And we want to say, hey, can you mentor me? But if we look in, in our own congregations, if we look uh, to the saints who are already there, who have those life experiences, they're, they're more than eager and willing to pray with you and to spend hours uh, with you, uh, affirming and, and those callings and, and encouraging you. Um, that is what has kept me afloat many times. It's been, um, you know, I, I shared at a conference about um, a lady I call my mama. She's my mama, Gail. She's my spiritual mom. It's just a lady in our church who uh, has grown kids and grandkids, and uh, but she's a prayer warrior. And uh, when I was going through struggles, you know, I knew her, but I didn't know her well. And it was when I was going through struggles that um, God connected the two of us. And um, he just made her a safe place for me to share and for me to come to in prayer. And I knew that this woman who had insomnia was up at four and five in the morning praying for me. Um, and so, uh, you know, seek out those relationships that um, are going to carry you through. I always like to ask people what they're reading. So I don't know if, of course, you have four kids and you have a 10-month-old. So I I mean, I remember those days. It was a long time ago. But So anything you're reading right now um, that you would or have read recently that you would recommend to uh, some other ministers for the new year? Sure. Well, you know what? I I read. I'm a very eclectic reader. So um, I enjoy. I just finished a book by Philip Yancey. I actually, I've read several of his. I can't remember which one was the last one I just read, but anything by Philip Yancey, I love. Um, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, oh, I love Malcolm I, Gladwell, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So David and Goliath was my last read by him, which really is about, I think, my life story, just having this feeling that you were, you were so little and you can't make a difference, uh, but just seeing the bigger picture of it and how um, all the right pieces in place all the right people to support you are going to propel you forward. And so um, I really enjoyed that book as well. And then right now I'm also reading um, Howard Zinn, if I'm saying that correctly, A People's History of the United States, oh, which is wow, totally wow. off topic. But <laughs> yeah, I have that book and I I started it, but it is a hard book to read. <laughs> oh, I take that one in little chunks. Yeah. So I take a few pages at a time because there's so much in it right. to um to really chew through and have to digest and yeah. think about. And I think for us, for me, in my context, with my, I think, um, as a minority, mm-hmm. as the way that I view myself, it's really helped me to understand my identity, perhaps, uh, as a person of color in the United States. So that has been pretty transforming already. Um, and I'm only in probably 100 pages. Right. So. I'm going to have to try to tackle that one in 2019 <laughs> again <laughs> I, I, I like i said i started it and i'm like oh this is heavy i don't know if i can do it this it's very heavy <laughs> yes it is all right well anything fun you're going to do today 
Um, well, the husband is sick, so hopefully I'll no. take the kids out for a little while and uh, just uh, get them away from dad. Um, it's his day off, but since he's sick, I guess uh, right. moms don't get days off. So <laughs> No, we don't. We don't. You don't get days off even when they're 19 and 23, so uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't spread to the rest of your house, and oh, I'll no, tell I him I not. appreciate him watching the kids while he's sick so that uh, <laughs> we can have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, thank you so much for for connecting. I'm so glad we got to meet up. I know. We've been playing tag since October, but it's okay. It was worth it. 